Welcome to the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd, and I'm a former doctor turned lifestyle entrepreneur. Each week, I interview some of the best minds on the planet on the science of achievement and the art of fulfillment. Come take this journey with me. Excuses are over. It's time to live. Knowing your why, what's your intention first? Because it always has to be greater than yourself. When things are greater than yourself, now there is this bigger, higher power driving the force behind you. And it's no longer about the me, 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 but it becomes about the we, we, we. The frequency for me is everything, because if you look at back, even in the Bible, right, at the beginning, there was a word, right? So that's that sound, that's a, that's a frequency that we, that we vibrate or resonate with. The same goes for universe. Educate yourself, every piece of it. When I start something, I want to know everything about it. What are the podcasts? What are the books? What are the successful people? And imitate their success and find your own ways to it. Okay, before we jump into this interview, I want to invite you to be considered for my 2019 Traveling Mastermind. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com and fill out the application and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a great fit. This year, we'll be in Boston doing lots of cool things like training with Tom Brady's trainer, Alex Guerrero. In the middle of the year, we'll be heading to Monaco doing things like vintage car rides through the French Riviera. And then we're going to wrap the year in Florence, Italy, doing things like truffle hunting and hot air ballooning over Florence. Look, Life is all about fulfillment, and I really try and walk the walk. So if you are looking to be part of our tribe of 28 high-achieving entrepreneurs that are in the six- and seven-figure range, fill out your application at workhardplayhardmastermind.com to be considered. So think of the mastermind as having two parts. The first is the trip itself. And the second part is what goes on over the four days within the mastermind. Our group of 28 entrepreneurs will help you brainstorm and accelerate what you want to achieve in 2019. And we'll do that through a variety of different exercises, brainstorming activities, breakout sessions, goal setting sessions, you know the drill. So go to workhardplayhardmastermind.com, fill out an application, and we'll jump on a call to see if you're a fit. All right, let's jump into today's episode. What's up, everybody? This is Rob Murgatroyd, and welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard show. This episode features Pavel Stuchlik. You can find him on Instagram and elsewhere at Noah AON Official. So I am super excited for you to hear this episode with Pavel, and here's why. My wife ran into him in Atlanta and said, I met this guy on my way to Trader Joe's. He's fascinating. He's an international DJ. He owns a chain of Orange Theories in Hawaii and Atlanta. There's so much with this guy. I was like, how long did you spend with him? She's like, just a couple of minutes. But I'm telling you, you got to have him on the show. And that was like a year and a half ago. We just never have been able to do it with his travel schedule and et cetera. But today we had him on the show and he's amazing. I Googled him. I did what every creepy husband would do. I checked him out first and it blew me away at what he has been able to accomplish at such a young age. He has dominated everything that he's done from professional cycling to owning franchises to DJing around the globe. Like not like wedding DJing, but like DJing, DJing. So when I find somebody like this, I 
always identify that there are patterns that make them successful. So we dug into those patterns and we also talked about his private training with Wim Hof, his 10-day silent retreats in the dark. He does a lot of stuff to um, improve himself. So I I think you're going to love this. A lot of people have been asking me about private coaching. I'm working with a select few number of people that are ready to make a change in their life, not thinking about it, but actually ready. If you fall into that category, go to workhardplayhardcoaching.com. All right, please enjoy this conversation with Pavel Stuchlik. Pavel, welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know what? I am so excited. It's uh, This is going to be one of those shows where we're going to just pray to the podcast gods that everything is going to work out okay. You are just off of a flight from Denver into Atlanta, which ironically is the city that I live in and you used to live in. And we are packing for a move to go to Europe uh, and get on a plane ourselves. So it's uh, it's one of those things, but I wanted to make sure that we found the time to connect with each other. So thank you for uh, for doing this and your crazy busy schedule. I am so grateful to be here. Okay, so the show is basically going to have three parts. The first is we're going to talk about the science of achievement, which is how you're able to do the things that you've been able to do. And we're going to dig into what those details are. And then we're going to talk about the art of fulfillment, which you are a master of, which is taking the time in your life to really live not just a a productive life from a uh, you know, a capitalistic standpoint, let's say, but also one from a uh, from a fulfillment uh, perspective as well. So, I'm super excited, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap up with some rapid fire questions. Cool. Let's do it. All right. So, I think a great starting off point would be to take you back to the former Czechoslovakia. Can you? Uh, explain to people what growing up there was like and maybe give a few examples of anything that stands out for you as far as what your day-to-day life was like there. Absolutely. No, so I was born on a border with Germany and uh, Czech Republic. So literally 50 minutes uh, to Germany and then, sorry, uh, 50 minutes to Poland. So it's like that Why? So if you see Czech Republic, it's all the way up north on the top. I was born in the middle of mountains. Uh, city had about 50,000 people, you know, quite tiny. And I'm going to give you the look from my wife's point of view when she went first time because she thought <laughs> she could not believe where I came from and how behind <laughs> it was <laughs> and how, uh, you know, some of the houses are still very gray. It's all changing now and, and colors after communist era are coming in. But, you know, it's not Prague. Prague is an amazing, beautiful town. But where I'm from, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's off, off, the, off the chain. You're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting about that? We don't think about communist countries, you know, per se as actually being gray. You know, we just look at them from what we see on television, certainly from an American or, you know, North American standpoint, and we see these you know, these buildings that look, you know, sort of like very industrial, but you're, you, you make a point that's really interesting to me. And that is the fact that they didn't use color. Why do you think that is? Is it because color had, you know, just sort of like went against communism? Do you know, it's very interesting. I think, and and I, I don't know this fact, but I believe because everything was owned by the government, they kept everything, you know, same or, or, you know, Every uh, place you went to was owned by, by the government. Uh, there was nothing 
you know, privately owned until the, the 90s, until 91. And so basically, uh, I, I believe that that's the reason why. And I will give you one more funny fact. Um, my wife is from Alabama, and so she compares Czech Republic to Alabama, that it's the redneck country of Europe. That is actually really funny because I think I think what she's doing is she's sort of like drawing the parallel. Uh, no knock to listeners in, in Alabama, but uh, but I'm assuming she's drawing the parallel of sort of like, um, oh, let's say not the most cosmopolitan place in the world. So that is really really interesting. All right, I want to move on a little bit to music and sports because you had a passion for music and sports pretty early on. In fact, uh, since you were 12 you were excited about both of them. And I want to dig into the music part a little bit later in the show. But first, I want to talk about cycling. As you do with most things that you do, you went all in and you became a professional cyclist. Can you perhaps set the scene of how you went about starting a business to fund your cycling with uh, selling carbon fiber bicycle parts? Absolutely. So uh, it's it's so funny. That same drive came in a very similar time. And there was a point of my life where I had to decide. And um, my dad really gave me the decision. You're either going to go to school, your life is paid for, or you're going to have to figure out a way how to start making money. And so during that time, I was already, uh, I was 17 years old when I started trading uh, carbon parts uh, between Alibaba and eBay. And that's now a little over uh, 10 years ago where, you know, Alibaba wasn't as accepted as it is today, especially on the U.S. market. And I figured out a way to basically uh, list something on eBay, but ship it directly from Chinese factories to to U.S. consumer within the timeline that it was still acceptable and never had to have any startup money. So that was kind of my first, um, you know, big start. As far as cycling goes, I, I just had this vision and drive, and, and it was such a hard sport. And up until today, I say that's what made me uh, never stop because taking seven hours a day on a bike ride or doing a business meetings, it's so much easier physically, you know? So I put all that drive into that. Also, with, with, with cycling and music, I basically had to stop music at about 15 years old because I couldn't do day and night. And so that was my kind of like a pivotal, you know, direction. And I've really started uh, like hardcore cycling when I was about 15, 16, going back to check, you know, racing for the national team and coming back, you know, to U.S. later on. You know, it's really interesting because you were able to, you know, growing up in a sort of a communistic environment, you did not have the best entrepreneurial role models of, you know, how to sort of be capitalistic and entrepreneurial, but yet you still had that drive that was inside of you. You know, where do you think that, I I guess drive is probably the good, is probably a good word, but, but more than that, it's, it's like, I guess maybe the know-how, like how did you even put together how to find Alibaba, list it on eBay ship it from China all without using your own money because you, you know, you weren't in an environment that sort of taught you how to do that. Well, uh, yes and no. So my parents actually, right after the communist era, they started business right away. And so they, they converted at first my grandmother's uh, house uh, on a ski res- in a ski, ski resort into a, like a bistro, like a, you know, food and 
drinks and, and snacks. And so that was like their first business. Then they went into textile because they didn't have enough clothes for us, for, for, for me and my brother. Uh, because again, the communists, there wasn't much to choose from. The only places you could go to was Germany or Turkey, you know, the, the surrounding countries that were known for, for good clothes. And really where it started is filling the need. For me, in the cycling industry, it is so expensive to buy these carbon bikes. And I was like, what the heck? There must be another way to this. So I started searching and then I found out the suppliers. I found out the, the actual factories that make it. And when I saw the prices, you know, $4,000 frame for $500, I was like, no freaking way. And so at that point, I knew I, I got to help my fellow riders because we were riding 1990 old school, you know, nasty bikes <laughs> in 2000s. And so basically that that's where it started. I wanted to provide my friends and, and, and surrounding areas with uh, high-end bikes that were at cost of what, what they would have. It's interesting. When you see communism now, how do you feel about it? In other words, when you see, you know, uh, countries like Cuba or North Korea or, you know, Russia not that long ago, do you connect to what the people are going through there? Or were you just too young to really sort of like understand what your parents were up against? Uh, definitely too young. But uh, throughout my business career, I found the closest thing to it, which is self-management and holacracy. And so I'm actually very well, I guess, educated in that field. And I'm a big supporter in, in bringing equality into people's hands. But I am also not supporter when it gets, uh, you know, too controlling. When it, you know, because basic foundation of communism uh, is, is actually a very enlightened way of, of living, you know, because you don't have, you know, poverty in, in a sense, right? But when the governments took it as a form of power and control, that, that's what I have a problem with. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where on paper it's great, but in, in actuality, it's never what you think it is, um, or it certainly doesn't manifest in that way. And, and uh, in some ways, the human drive and spirit is muted. And, uh, you know, people just don't have that entrepreneurial uh, spirit to continue. So I, I see what you're saying. You made the decision to leave cycling and become more of an entrepreneur. And you were into all sorts of things from cooking shows to flipping houses in Germany and Czech. And, you know, most people are paralyzed with fear when it comes to stepping into new businesses. Do you have any tips or best practices for people that find themselves scared to take a leap? Absolutely. I mean, at that point, some friends were making fun of me that anything that's being sold, I could sell. And I even used to have a website called pavelsvision.com. And I had anything from Asian trading to you know carbon bikes to real estate to rental vacation houses. And it was just uh, a period where, where I had to figure out something and I had to get it funded, right? But whatever people are, I think, you know, uh, the biggest things that I've learned from this is, A, you know, what are the thoughts? What do you want to do? What, what is the why? What is the driving force? Uh, I'm sure you know Simon Sinek. I actually resonate with why, what, how uh, quite greatly. And I've used it in every single company that I have started. But, you know, knowing your why, what's your intention first? Because it always has to be greater than yourself. 
when things are greater than yourself, now there is this bigger, higher power driving the force behind you. And it's no longer about the me, 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 but it becomes about the we, we, we. And I'm all about we consciousness. How can we make the world a better place? And whatever's through business, whatever's through spirituality and music, it doesn't matter. There is higher force that, you know, is above this. And we are most of the time, you know, kind of playing against it versus letting it play for us. So for me, it's what is my why? Why am I going to do this? What is going to be the steps, right? Like how am I going to achieve it? Create a you know dream goal, create a year plan, month, week, day. I always like to break everything down into small segments. So that way it's not just, you know, this big dream goal where most people fail because the minute it gets hard, the minute they have to get a payroll, the minute they have to get funding, you know, most people quit, right? So really it's the consistency, staying with the why, because that will keep on recharging your, your mission, recharging your, your you know, uh, motivation in the first place. And then educate yourself, every piece of it. When I start something, I want to know everything about it. What are the podcasts? What are the books? What are the successful people? And imitate their success and find your own ways to it. So the why, Simon Sinek, you know, he wrote a book, uh, as you mentioned, uh, called Start With Why. And uh, he's a great keynote speaker. He travels all around the world talking about this. And it's, it's always been interesting to me because, you know, look, Simon's, Simon's a super intelligent guy. There's no question about it. But, you know, his concept of starting with why, you know, on one hand could be so simplistic. And on the other hand, it's why is it, why is it that we don't look at that? You know, most people will you know, sort of like spend all this time on reverse engineering what their business is going to look like and how they need to do it and, and you know, everything associated with it. But they spend very, very little time thinking about why they're actually doing it. And it's a, it's a, it's a great question to ask somebody, why are you doing it? And you can listen to them fumble. So I love when things are so different in how entrepreneurs think because, you don't take that approach. You really do start with why, and I love that. You left Europe, and you bought some Orange Theory franchises. Can you walk me through why you decided to leave Europe and move into the Orange Theory franchise space? Absolutely. So my first business venture in in US uh, on a US soil started with actually sushi restaurant in in Boulder, Colorado. It's something that we did uh, in congruence with my family because we had to have a visa. And prior to that, uh, you know, I was in in real estate, but the real estate didn't count. Uh, they didn't have enough, you know, active employees. Didn't have enough of all the criteria that the U.S. government, you know, asked for. And so, so my first actually thing was the sushi restaurant. Afterwards, it didn't qualify again. So I actually moved to Hawaii, opened up a series of frozen yogurt franchises. I don't know if you remember the frozen yogurt era or boom. And, and, and then that was, I actually, that was your uh, Tutti Frutti world, right? You got it. You got it. That was Tutti Frutti world. And, and then I actually found Orange Theory. The reason why I went into Orange Theory is because the, the real estate and the frozen yogurt start going down. The, the cap rates were, you know, worse and worse and start, you know, recuperating. And also I had another pivotal moment of my life. I wasn't fulfilling my why. I was fulfilling financial needs. 
but I was not fulfilling my heart. And I was unhappy, unsatisfied. I was making people sad. And I, up until today, I tell you, I, I don't like the way I used to negotiate because to negotiate means I have to win over someone. And so I've been through series of search and search until basically we found Orange Theory, where it's such a highly you know, evolved mission, if you think about it, you know, healing people, giving them more life. Imagine the obesity, right, alone in America or the world. And so for me, uh, it was, you know, win-win. Uh, when we found it, there was, you know, very few stores and uh, they gave me two days. Uh, we, we drove with my wife to Florida. It was about two days before the yearly closeout, you know, when, when the FDD, the franchise disclosure documents have to be reestablished for next year. And uh, Orange Theory Corporate was going to keep Georgia. And Georgia, I've never been here. Atlanta, I mean, knew very little, only from cycling, because I did race, you know, in the Blood Mountains uh, when I was 15, 16 years old. But in two days, we were able to get everything done, show them the plan. They had this 23-year-old kid that was there with, you know, already good business background, but, you know, didn't know me, didn't think we would do it. Uh, next day, after we got this sign, moved to Georgia or Atlanta, started it within six months we had the fastest growing market in the entire chain and at that point we just you know the the rest is history we went into oregon nevada san francisco parts of new york south beach hawaii and and you know we built it into a very large business portfolio so you were able to use the money from one to bankroll it into the next and into the next and into the next. Did it be, ever become a point for you where there were too many orange theories to manage? And uh, do you still currently own them or have you gotten rid of all of them at this point? Great question. It was actually about three years ago when one of the hardest part of my life started, you know, at the peak, we had shoot almost, you know, 500 people in the, in the link. Uh, I brought in close to hundred franchisees and, and there was a time where, where I literally didn't have the manpower, uh, running low on funds. And it was, it was very challenging, very difficult. Uh, just to remind you, when we started this, I didn't know how to file, you know, payroll. I didn't know how to start a business license. All of that was fresh while we were running the hottest fitness franchise in the world. <laughs> it's really, really interesting. So where are you now with Orange Theory? Do you own any or is it all gone? Uh, so I still own uh, Hawaii and uh, South, uh, Florida, South Beach uh, location. And uh, we're actually in process of uh, selling that as well. So you want to? So ultimately, you're going to get out of the Orange Theory business on those two final locations. If the if it was in alignment with your mission, and it was producing revenue, why would you get rid of the last two? Uh, honestly, it, it it has been great. I just moved on. So about uh, three years ago, I went for the first time to uh, this dark room retreat. And I spent 10 days in complete darkness with uh, no food, no light, literally just, just me reflecting, no cell phone. <laughs> and I got out of there and I was like, I really, you know, touched myself for the first time. It was about day seven. 
when I completely broke into tears, like I never have before for hours and hours, I was bawling and crying. And the reason why I, I, I was in bliss, it was pure bliss for the first time in my life. I didn't have expectations for the future. I didn't care what happened in the past, all my guilt, all my fears gone. And when I walked out of there, I basically decided I love business. It's, it's fun, but I'm going to let this to, to other people that that's their mission. And I want to move into the space of motivation, you know, keynote speaking, music industry, and creating experiences so people can also touch their higher self, their, their best self. And that's where I'm now. It's really interesting. Let's get a bit more current. When you and I met, you were having a few business exits and you were picking back up the music career that you left behind uh, when you were much younger in the form of DJing. Your stage name is Noah Aon, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Can you tell us why you chose that name? You got it. So it's uh, Noah Aon. Uh, Noah Aon. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Noah means uh, movement and Aeon is all or none. Uh, it's also uh, reflects a duality. So it's like a self-reflection and it's really what happened to me. And my whole mission with that is to unify people and to go back to the center. So the thing that splits it in the logo, that's the harmony. And I believe people need more harmony joy, happiness in life. And, and, you know, especially in this world of fast pace and that that's the whole mission behind it. You know, when we talk about DJing, when I say you're a DJ for people that are listening, there's, it gets confusing because there's all kinds of DJs, right? You are not a wedding DJ. You have an album and you're doing massive events like headlining in the best clubs around the world and playing Burning Man and giant festivals. Most DJs are struggling to book a gig. If you had to narrow down two to three key ingredients that allowed this meteoric growth that you've had so quickly, what would they be? Well, it would again be why. So my why was completely different than just going into music space and compete with other DJs. My why was to unify people using the sound and what I call modern healing. Uh, I use a lot 432 Hertz, the frequency of love. And what, what happens with it is, A, I, I was different. My whole thing was about intentional movement, you know, dance parties. That's why I have the hashtag Noah movement. It's, it's all about uh, using music as almost like an alchemy where people are taken on a journey. People are taken on a journey through almost meditation, just in a movement settings, because more and more people know and seek meditation, but there's many forms to meditate. It doesn't just have to be in complete stillness, you know, silence. And so for, for me, and also the tip for others is that, again, what's your brand? What's your why? And how are you going to differentiate with it? Because when you are fueled by your heart and you're guided by your heart, not by your mind, what you think you should have, not being in a place where, oh, this guy does this, let me copy and paste that right? It, it's not you. It's just imitating somebody else other than you. And so again, finding that deep purpose behind it, and then it moves people. Well, what's interesting is the theme that keeps coming up that I'm hearing is that you keep coming back to your why, perhaps maybe when you get lost or you're trying to figure out what's next, or you're trying to dive back into your passion. Your why is why the question that you ask yourself over and over again is, why am I doing this? And then the inspiration seems to spark from the answer to that question. You mentioned two things 
one a minute ago and one a while ago. And the first one is 432 hertz. For for people that are listening, music, uh, you can you can sort of like explain this better than me. But my understanding of what you mean by that is that there's a there's a frequency that music has, and that frequency of hertz, which is just a, a measurement of sounds, um, that tone is um, is in alignment with a love frequency. And I know that I know that different frequencies evoke different emotions. Can you talk about a, a, explain a little bit better than I just did, and maybe tell me what are some other frequencies that people can sort of use in their everyday life? Absolutely. So, um, I mean, you, you've done a great job as far as the frequency goes, but there is a series and series of different frequencies. Uh, there is a, a gentleman, his name is Asa, that we're actually working on an amazing podcast as well as a compilation together. And uh, what we're doing, he specializes, he's basically the one that brought the frequency to the surface, but he's mostly in the meditation and healing space. It's called Source Vibrations. And so, for example, you know, he uses like consciousness expansion, that's 741. There's a relationship harmony. 639 and i don't want to go into you know depth there's variety of frequencies that that listeners can can search and they can also find him on spotify but what it does it's this underlying almost like a subconscious you know effect and you know you've probably heard of binaural beats you've probably heard of you know new musical healing where people are taken with diseases into a sound chambers. And so sound is coming more and more to the surface as, as not just something you can hear a great vocal, but also what is the underlying frequency, right? And so the frequency for me is everything because if you look at back, even in the Bible, right at the beginning, there was a word, right? So that's, that's sound. That's a, that's a frequency that we, that we vibrate or resonate with. Same goes for universe. And I don't want to go into too much, you know, I guess scientific uh, part, but more and more science is catching up as to what sound can do for us. You know, it's interesting. I, it, there's an app. I don't know if you ever heard of the app. It's called the insight timer. Have you heard of that? No. It's a great app. You'd love it. Um, it's called Insight Timer, Insight One Word Timer. And um, basically what it is, is it gives you, um, it's, a, it's a free app that gives people, can put the meditations that they've created up onto the app and then it becomes crowdsourced where the, you know, the one who has the, the highest meditation goes up at the top and they do the same for music and they do the same for these binaural beats and these sounds that you're referring to. And, it, and what's cool about it is that you can just see the ones that people have responded to the most. So when I messed around with the app and I listened to different things and I, list, and I went through these frequencies, I noticed that some of the frequencies I listened to, I was really turned off by and others I did not want to end. And I, I thought maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, well, so... It's interesting. So the, the my teacher, her name is Jasmine. She's the one that that I go to the dark room every year. Uh, she she has the same thing. There's we're, we're programmed to hear different frequencies, and if we're not ready, I guess to hear something, it it won't you know vibe with us. It's almost like you have to like turn it off right away. Did, did you have that same feeling? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them I listen to, and they they are just like amazing. Like if you're sitting there and you're writing or journaling or meditating and you just listen to the frequency when you get the right one 
you feel like you're floating on the cloud. I mean, it's the most amazing thing in the world. But if you get one for whatever reason, or, or at least I, it, that was the case for me, if I got one that just didn't feel right, you just like you did not want to be in it. You just want to turn it off. So I was always confused about this because I know that certain frequencies are for love and certain frequencies are for healing and certain, you know, all these different things. But I was really struggling because, you know, some of them I liked and some of them I didn't like so much. So I was just wondering if you had any experience with that. Well, so the way I, I, I learned it is that we are like a keynote, right? And and listening to a certain keynote, you either resonate with it or or you don't, right? Now, if you if potentially let's say that you have a little closed heart and then you're listening to frequency of love, it could be uh it you you may not, you know, perceive it right. It may be very, you know, dirty or, or negative sound for you. But then you can maybe turn it on later on uh, when you're in a place of gratitude and, and more stillness. And all of a sudden you, you, you know, open up to it more. That's, that's uh, I really wish my, my friend Asa was here because he's like a master in, in explaining this. But, uh, but the well, maybe what we'll, is, you know, maybe what we'll do is we'll do a podcast um, with your friends so we can kind of dig into this. Cause I have been getting asked this question more and more. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time with it uh, to see if, you know, something hit you. But I, I want to ask you about your energy. You have an infectious energy. You have an incredible belief in yourself. And you seem to me to be so deeply happy all the time. I know that the book, The Power of Now, was a, a critical book for you. What are some of the lessons that you took from the book that you use in your life today? Well, so it's it's a combination. Uh, I, I spent I so first of all, I grew up with shaman, so I've always been open to energies and and different spiritual, uh, traditional. Uh, I mean, you name it. You know, learnings and, and studies. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. I was listening to or, or reading Power of Now when I was at high school in in US, and I was actually taking. <laughs> to the principal because I didn't like algebra. And so instead of algebra, I would do self-studies on, on what, you know, really interested me. I, by the way, I, I, I paid a friend to finish online high school for me. So I have no college, no school. My school is life and what really interests me. And I have, I've always spent time, uh, every three months I, I go do something crazy to, to grow myself. But the most impactful Things in my life have been my belief system because most people believe they have to have a certain things in order for them to do a certain things and then they never become them, right? It's the have to be paradigm. And what I've learned is when you live by the opposite, when you are it, you be, you do the right things, the right steps to meet the right people, and then you have the right results as a, as a, as an almost resolution, right? For me, let's say that you say law of attraction, right? It's it's sequence with thoughts. What are the thoughts that you had about everything, everyone in your space? Because then you take the actions according to that, and then you have the results, right? So be, do, have has been one of my biggest like values in life is to embrace who you want to be so you can call it into space, whatever's friends, studies, teachings, so you have all the results because of all the things you've already, you, you already are. And so I spent at least two, three years rewriting negative situations in my life, whatever it was with friends, in business career, anything that caused me any sorts of emotional you know, pain, I would write it down and rewrite it, recode it almost. 
I'm a huge believer that we are, uh, our mind is like a center and our body is like a computer. So kind of like a software and hardware, right? We come to this earth with a certain amount of hardware and it's up to us how much we upgrade it, what apps do we download into it. And I'm just using that example because it's a great, I think, technology because everybody knows that when you press something in your computer, it, it reacts, right? It does the task that you ask it to do. And same way, your body and emotions respond because that's what makes your life feel you know, real. That's why we have our mental body, our physical body, and our emotional body to, to basically you know, deal with. And so I take them all equally as important. I train them and I uh, fulfill them equally as much because then you can have a balanced, harmonious life. It's really interesting. So you went about identifying all the significant events that you can remember in your life and rewrote the story to interrupt the pattern and rewire the software in your brain so that you see it differently. You exactly got it. Because when somebody is having a hardships in their life, a, most people focus on the things that are easy first, so then life becomes hard, you know, a lot of times. B, when you focus on the things that are hard, where the lessons lie, then your life can become easy. You know, C, when when you don't see things as, as a hardship in the first place, but you just see it as the next level up, kind of like in a, in a video game, and, and see it and welcome every challenge because now you know there's something for you to learn. And sooner you can learn, sooner you can move on. And, and then I experience this lightness. I, I don't have these painful fear. I am not living in past. I'm not living in a future because I know where I am, who I want to be. Everything else follows. Everything else comes to you. Amazing. What I'd like to do is move on to the art of fulfillment portion of the show and talk about some of the things that you're doing to improve life outside of business for you. And you've touched on so many of them because it's part of your DNA now. It's just who you are. But I want to start this section off with what is a struggle that you're currently currently dealing with? Yeah, very good. I, the last two years, I've actually spent quite a, a struggle because of this this new new change. I have basically decided, uh, you know, consciously that I want to move into my highest potential, and I literally called it into into the space where everything in my life has been challenged, every relationship, everything, and I call it the the, the level up right? The art of fulfilling that if you want to be at your best, living your best, you're going to have to change all the patterns that you've lived with, right? So let's say that you have had a pattern that you're not enough in a certain situation, or let's say you had a pattern that, that after success, you have to fail, right? I had to move through every single one of these to basically go into almost like a dark hole because after the dark room, I decided that I want to completely change my life. I mean, I literally walked out of there and I decided to leave my business mask, you know, off or taking it off and move into a completely new paradigm, something that nobody knew me for. Right. And so I, the last two years, I've been going through, through a lot of hard transformation, uh, you know, myself whatever it's financially, because I left the business that they were, whatever it is in relationship, because I've changed every you know structure of, of my core. But at the same time, I am you know, at my highest potential. I've, I'm in service to, to people, and I feel so greatly 
you know, poured with gratitude because I get to touch so many humans now every day. It's interesting. Part of that process that I was sort of a part of just because we lived uh, in the same building together, you, uh, you left Atlanta and you decided to move to Denver. Was that sort of part of the change that you were after? Uh, also, so it was actually Boulder, Colorado, and we're... Oh, we're, okay. You're, okay, so you, you fly into Denver, but then you drive to Boulder, is that it, or you fly into Boulder? Uh, I fly into Denver and then go to Boulder. Okay, got it. Got and it. And really, honestly, the biggest reason why we went there was I have two kids, and so the, the quality of, you know, lifestyle for, for them is just so much, you know, greater than being in, in, in the heart of the city. And also, I decided that whatever I go next, it's going to be my resting place instead of active place. So it's, it's, it's been, you know, very good for that because anytime I'm back home, I'm there to either be for the family or for my next creation forward. When you say your, uh, your resting place, is that sort of how you describe Boulder now as more of a resting place for you? Or you mean the next place you want to go to is resting? No, that that's that's my resting place. <laughs> that's your resting place. So, so you're so you're enjoying it, and how is your family enjoying it? Uh, I think we're all you know great. We, we did you know like I was saying we were going through a lot of reinstruction of, of businesses right now, so it's been very you know impactful for all of us. But I think we're literally at the end of the J curve. You know, I'm, I'm a huge fan. I don't know if you've probably heard of J curve, especially from the you know multi level marketing. But we decided to change our lives. We drop all the way down, and now we're kind of cleaning up to what's the next, you know, decade going to be like. You know, you mentioned uh, that you have two children, and uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about that because some of the listeners of the show have children themselves, and you know, they struggle with, you know, doing things that are outside of the confines of the box that they sort of created for themselves. And you're probably the extreme example that I know of somebody who just frankly doesn't give a shit and you're going to do what you want to do if you feel called to do it. I mean, you really are somebody who acts on it. In what ways do you raise your children differently than most parents, at least from your viewpoint anyway? Uh, No, great. And and just so you know, for every listener, it's far the greatest challenge for my life is to balance the the family with myself and with with career or or you know the, the mission and uh, and it's it's always so tough because you want to give time to everybody but it's not always you know possible so you know clear time management has has been just you know so important in this but you know what what I do with kids is I teach them spirituality I teach them stars I teach them uh, meditation. I teach them self-love, self-confidence. My little daughter, she's now five. She goes and takes ice baths with us. And my biggest thing with them is I ask them, would you like to do this? And if they say yes, then you know I follow it. One thing I've learned from Waldorf, where, where they went, is that kids up to, I believe, age of seven, they need to, you, you don't want them to decide with, uh, with multiple uh, choices because if you give them five, six choices, it makes them, it, it, they're not capable of, of taking that yet. And so what I now do is it's option A or option B. So you give them two choices and then uh, it's been this very like free flow, you know, kind of like letting them do whatever they, they say uh, within uh, almost like an inflatable balloon. You know, when you inflate a balloon, let them push it however far they like, but but have the perimeters around it. 
That's interesting. What is the Waldorf? Is that a school that your that your children are in in uh, Boulder? Yeah, you got it. So Waldorf is like a, a alternative, you know, school where where they are, you know, taught mostly by art, by uh, experiences. Everything in school is experimental. They don't do, you know, screens. Uh, they they don't play with plastic toys. It's it's kind of like Montessori, just, just you know, a little different. It's really interesting. I, you know, listen, I can't get myself in an ice bath, so I, I don't know how I'm going to get my uh, my uh, my four year old in one. So I'm going to I'm, I'm going to have to have you call your friend Wim Hof and uh, see if uh, you can get me into one of those things. Right now, I just like a hot shower. <laughs> well, <laughs> but God's not done. Oh. Yeah, I was going to say God's not done with me yet. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, are there any positions or opinions in the last few years, or it could be way back, it doesn't have to be in the last few years, that you've changed substantially where you've shifted your position or completely changed your mind? Maybe you were like, you know, I know that this is the way it is, and then all of a sudden, recently, you're like, you know what? I was wrong. I, I don't I don't believe that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think in a, in a business sense, uh, big time, and, and that's that's – I. I, you know, well, e- even in life, I, I, I have a hard time seeing the, the current economy, like the way it's structured and the way how we live, how so many people, you know, live in this, this, you know, poverty in general. And, and I, I can see how there, there, there's very hard way out. Right. So one of the things, one of the main things that I'm really fan of, I think it's Finland who's trying to do like a minimum payment amount. Uh, per month and what that is is that they are paying like thousand you know let's say thousand dollars to everybody so they can um, have money for their basic needs and then uh, they can do whatever they like to do and the the lesson or the change for me is that i used to pay certain salaries and and not thinking how it actually affects them and what i've learned is that people can't perform at their best if their you know covers if their bases are not covered and so that's been in the last three, four years, my biggest uh, challenge between staying profitable, but yet fulfilling uh, people's needs. Mm, that's really interesting. What's the one goal that you thought when you achieved it, everything is going to be better? And then you achieved it and you're like, eh, it really didn't give me what I thought it was going to give me. It's, it's, I could tell you one was cycling uh, in a sports. So when I achieved, you know, all that I ever wanted, I was like, so what, for what? And I've, I've learned that, you know, sport is basically a modern gladiatorship where people are <laughs> watching you basically almost die and, and, and more spicy it gets, better it is. And so, so, you know, that's one. Same thing went in business. I, I start making great money. But again, for what? If my brothers and sisters around me are still unhappy, unfulfilled, and can't have food to eat, how am I a greater person with that? And so, you know, those were some of my biggest pivotal moments in life is realizing that if we all not winning, nobody's winning. Mm, I love that. If you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? <laughs> I am really intrigued by Asian countries. And so I think uh, traveling through Asia would be uh, 
you know, very lucrative. Uh, I know you said one country, so I'll pick Mongolia. It's the least populated country in the world. And it just freaking, it, it, it's mind battling for me how different people live, what are their values. And, and that's actually, by the way, my, one of my most favorite things about traveling is, is just observing how people live, how people react, what is their driver for happiness, because those are all programs, right? Programs from their society, programs from their history, programs from their parents. And so I'm just like a fly. I want to be fly on a wall and, and spend months traveling through the monasteries there. Yeah, it's amazing. You know what you'd like? There's a, uh, if you haven't seen it already, there's a, uh, a Netflix special called Street Food. And don't let the title fool you. What they'll do, and they, they did a piece in Mongolia, which is what made me think of it. What they'll do is they'll go um, do a deep dive on the person, the, the, the history and the background of the person that's selling the street food. And I think, you'll, I, I, I think you'll really, really love it because it's exactly what you just described. And you're right. I mean, that's, what, that's why we travel, right? That's why we do what we do. If you can go to only one restaurant before you die, where would your last meal be? Hey, that's a hard one. <laughs> I'll I know. say it, I, it would be something with soups. <laughs> something I, with soups, huh? You're, you're a soup guy. I love uh, where you can cook your own soups, you know, whatever it's, uh, whatever it's like shabu shabu from, from any, you know, Japanese. But I love just boiling uh, food in, in soups. <laughs> that's really interesting. All right, so we're going to move into the last portion of the show, which is the rapid-fire round. Answer as quickly or as slowly as you like. It's the first thing that pops into your mind round. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Uh, think, uh, taking people and, and changing the energy uh, in, the, in them. What's one of the things you're afraid of right now? Uh, afraid of rejection. What keeps you up at night? The best uh, future for my kids. What do people never ask you, but you wish they did? <laughs> What's my why? <laughs> What's the one thing that you want to get better at? I want to get better at balancing uh, my personal life with my family life and with a business. Mm. What book, other than The Power of Now, have you reread the most? The Book of Truth from Paul Selig. It's mm, a new one. I haven't heard that one. Okay. What's your guilty pleasure? <laughs> Ice cream. All right. And then the last question, we're going to change things up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? I would like to ask you, what is your why? Well, my why is what I'm doing right now, which is I'm on a, uh, I'm on a mission to wake people up to their life, not entirely dissimilar from what you're doing right now. And I'm running a, a mastermind. I do uh, three events a year. Um, one in, uh, they're all in different locations, but this year um, it's Boston, Monaco, and, uh, and then Italy. And basically what we do is we put people that absolutely love what it is that they do. They're, they're in many ways addicted to it because they love it. And what really winds up happening is that they spend their lives banging their head away uh, in front of their iPhone and their laptop and working and they're listening to more podcasts and they're going to more seminars and listening to more keynotes 
but they're doing it all under the guise of, yeah, but I love what I do. And it's, you know, I don't see it as work, but there's a whole world that's out there. And it's all of the things that you've, you know, discussed, you know, the different cultures that you want to see and the different experiences like, you know, in, like you did in Thailand, you know, where you didn't, you didn't come out uh, and see daylight for 10 days and the ice baths and all of those things that you're doing that are waking you up to your life. People who are in love with they do, with what they do and passionate about what they do, they largely ignore those areas of life. So I just decided to create it for them. So as an example, in you know Monaco, I'll have some helicopters that are going to meet them in Nice and fly them into Monaco. And the next day wow. we're going <laughs> to wake up and we're going to go on a uh, vintage car ride through the French Riviera and um, then do a little goal setting session in a castle overlooking the Mediterranean. And um, the next day we're going to get some speedboats and go into Saint-Tropez um, for the day and party. And then we're going to wrap it up. And Italy, we're going to go truffle hunting and so wow. the idea, yeah, and then go back to a villa and cook the truffles. And the idea of this is to take these entrepreneurs that are not going to take, they're not going to step away from work. They're just going to keep doing the work and just force them every, you know, or maybe gently motivate them every hundred days or so and just get them out of their box so that they can come back more refreshed. So my why is to be able to um, stimulate the uh, these areas, you know, the uh, the Italians have La Dolce Vita, the French have Joie de Vivre. Uh, we have Happy Hour. <laughs> <You> <laughs> we just we just don't have it, and so I want to be um, the guy that, you know, kind of like to your last comment of you know balancing work and family and business. I want to be the guy that can sort of like chunk it up into work hard, play hard, and you know, wake them up to their life. You get one, you get one life. I like it a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. Right, well, I actually want to come. <laughs> well, you you are more than welcome. You are more than welcome. I'll uh, I'll send you a link for the uh, for the Italy one, and and maybe you and your wife uh, would like to uh, join us for the next one. It'll be uh, in Florence uh, in uh, in October. Beautiful, beautiful. So I'll send you all the info, and thank you so much. Do you have any final words, suggestions, or an ask for the people that are listening? No, so basically, if, if anybody's interested, uh, my, my biggest core kind of offering right now is, you know, the musical scene. So I, I have music on Spotify, SoundCloud, everywhere. Uh, the, the second offering is my, I do workshops, I do retreats, and I call them system reset uh, using the most efficient techniques I've learned from people around the world. And all of that is, uh, you know, either found in Facebook or Instagram, and it's at Noah, N-O-A-A-O-N official. And please write me if you have any comments. We'd love to connect. This has been awesome. You know, I really appreciate you doing this. I know that you're uh, about ready to start um, one of your uh, retreats this weekend. That's why you're in Atlanta, and that's why we had all that, you know, city background noise. But you literally got off the plane, grabbed your bags, went into a cafe so that you can accommodate my schedule uh, because I have movers here today, and we're moving uh, like just like you did out of the building, right? Uh, and today is our day. So um, I am so grateful that this was able to happen. I know it was a long time coming and our schedules just did not line up. So I wish you nothing but success on everything that you're doing. You are a, um, a beautiful and very special soul. Um, and every time I get a chance to talk with you, I learn something new. So thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Rob, as well. All the best. All right. Thanks for listening. If you love this episode and you know someone that needs some help in either stepping up their work hard game 
or their play hard game, it would mean the world to me if you shared this podcast with them to help me get this movement out there. So if you like what you heard, head on over to iTunes, take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and I will be forever grateful. So until the next episode, excuses are over. It's time to live.